How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Welcome to How I Got Here, Mozio and FocusWire's weekly podcast about innovation in travel and transportation. I'm David Litwack, and I'm joined by Kevin May, and today we're honored to welcome Bob Diener. Bob is currently the co-founder and president of getaroom.com, but he's more well-known for founding Hotel Reservations Network, which eventually became Hotels.com. Together with his business partner, David Littman, Bob created the merchant model for booking hotel rooms and launched one of the first travel sites on the web in 1995. Thanks for joining us, Bob. Well, it's great to be with you today. Uh, so we like to start every single one of these podcasts with the same question, which is if you could explain uh, to us how you got here. Uh, sure. Well, I, I started off my career as an attorney. I worked at a, at a large law firm, a Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher in Los Angeles. But uh, while I was in law school, I, I had a part-time travel business. And uh, that helped put me through law school. And I I kept the business on the side while I was practicing law. And after practicing for about two and a half years, uh, I went into the a travel business full time, first on the airline side. Uh, till 1990, we sold our airline company. And then my partner, Dave Lipman, and I, we, we were a little bit bored sitting on the beach in our flip flops and, and talking about what are we going to do next? And we decided to take a trip to Belize, do some scuba diving while we lived in a hut for a few days and crunched a lot of paper and figured out what our next steps uh, were going to be. And we decided on the hotel business. That sounds very easy. I mean, <laughs> Bob, it's Kevin here. Nice to meet you. Um, tell us a little bit about the travel business that you said you had when you were uh, uh, practicing to become a lawyer. I mean, how did that come about? I mean, it's not the most obvious thing that perhaps some people will do while they're also doing their studies. Uh, sure. So I, ha I had what's called an airline consolidator business. So what I used to do is, is buy up bulk seats from airlines and then resell them. And so at the time, and this was, this was in the uh, early 80s, so there were a lot more airlines at the time, and, and many of them were strapped for cash. So they were happy to get some cash in advance in, re, in, re, in return for future airline credits. Uh, so that was, that was my original business, and uh, we resold the tickets largely to uh, other lawyers and law firms and travel agencies, and it grew into a bigger business. And I kept that business part-time and eventually went into it full-time. And then in 1990, right around the time of the Gulf War, uh, there's a lot of things changed in the airline business. A lot of the airlines that uh, were weaker went out of business or were merged into other airlines. And we decided to sell the business and uh, look for something else. And of course, we knew the travel industry. And so the hotel business was a natural because it's much more competitive than the airline industry, the car segment or the cruise segment, because there's so many hotels. I mean, in the U.S. alone, there's over 50,000 hotels, and then you have thousands of vacation rentals and other types of lodging. And once you look at it internationally, it's just, it's just a massive market that's in the hundreds of billions of dollars. 
So we saw a, a, a ripe opportunity to take advantage uh, of, of, of a marketplace that really wasn't being tapped that effectively. And what did you, what did you learn, Bob, from that period during the 80s that you kind of applied to that very, very early phase of the early 90s? So we really, really, yeah, no. So we really learned how to distribute and market in a cost-effective way, and and we really started by targeting certain segments. For example, the travel agency segment was a great segment because they're in the industry, they're selling travel, they're always looking for more profits and 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 more ways to uh, increase their business. And so when we presented them with really good opportunities. Uh, it was it was it was a great market to take advantage of it. It was easy to reach out to agents. They were at the time about thirty thousand agents in the U.S. and so it, it was it was fairly easy to tap into that business. and And we knew many agencies would develop relationships with them. So after the airline industry, it was kind of a natural to present them our new hotel product once we launched the hotel business. And you know, you, you've referenced David a number of times already. I mean, we're always very interested in that the kind of the backstory as how you, you, you found your, your founding team, how you discovered yourselves and what kind of connected you with each other, both on, I guess, a personal level and also on a business level, because that kind of that co-founder relationship is such an important one. No question. And uh, Dave and I have been partners now for, for way over 30 years. Uh, so we first met in Cornell Law School, uh, and I was I was at a dinner with a friend, and we were talking about a great ticket that I found to travel around the world after law school. And Dave was eavesdropping that conversation, and he said, "That sounds really interesting. Can I join you guys?" And he joined us, and, uh, and I was telling him how I found this ticket for about five hundred dollars to travel all over the world. And he said, "I'd love to join you guys on the trip." And so we. I traveled together after law school. We went through Asia, went through Europe together, and, and we became very close. And afterwards, we both came back and we worked at different law firms. I worked at uh, Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher in Los Angeles. Uh, Dave went to Dallas and worked at uh, Johnson & Swanson. Uh, and uh, I started working, and when I started working uh, in, in, the, in the airline business, continuing it, once I was practicing, I tapped Dave because Dallas was a great market. I said, Dave, why don't, uh, why, don't, uh, why don't you join me in this business part-time? And so Dave says, that sounds great. And we both worked at a part-time. And then I decided to go into it full-time. And Dave says, well, I don't want to leave my law practice yet. I've got a great, uh, <laughs> a great salary here. And my bonus is about to come up. This was in, in November. So we made a deal. And the deal was that I was going to leave the law firm and go into the travel of the airline business full-time. And Dave was going to keep his job, get his bonus at the end of December. We were going to split uh, split the profits I was making, split Dave's salary, and then we would assess again in January. And so that's how we started. And, and Dave saw how great the opportunity was, and he left uh, uh, the law firm he was working at in, in January, and then we both went into the airline business full-time. So that's, uh, that's really how it started and how our relationship was started. That's very interesting because I'm – you know, I, I, I'm sure, and you know, the, these three decades plus that you referenced, you know, the, your relationship is very strong. But in those kind of early days, there's an awful lot of trust on both parts, both with personally and also the business you're about to go into, which is a, essentially a startup. I mean, how did you, how did you yourself kind of get your head around how you were going to kind of manage those different elements? 
Well, I, I was I was very impressed with Dave's work ethic, and Dave is just incredibly sharp. And we have different talents. Dave was very strong in the tech area. He's very strong on personnel, very strong in administration, and so we really split up our tasks. I focused on the finance part, sales and marketing, and and Dave focused on the tech and operational part. Uh, and so we, we each worked in our we each you know focused on our individual strengths, and together we were a great team. And uh, we worked well together. We both worked hard. We appreciate each other's work ethic. And, and we developed a close relationship. And uh, to this day, we've actually never had an agreement. We don't have a buy-sell agreement. We've split all our profits 50-50 for the last 30 years plus without anything in writing. So it's been an incredible relationship. And usually, whatever, uh, when I'm thinking about a number, Dave's coming up with almost the exact same number. And, and when I'm thinking about a marketing strategy or, or uh, or finance strategy, and I always look to Dave to analyze it, tear it apart, and he does the same with me. So it's been just an incredible relationship. And and you know when you're when you're running the business by yourself, it, it, it's that's a very lonely business because it's there's very few people that you can relate to. You know maybe you can relate to some competitors or some people that used to be in the business, but it's very difficult to to really run things by anyone or really have uh, someone to bounce ideas off of or, or, or have someone to criticize you or tear your ideas apart. <laughs> so, so when you have someone like that, it's really a great blessing. And you know, not only we've been close friends and uh, partners, but it's just been, it's been, it's been an incredible, uh, great working relationship for the last 30 years plus. And uh, even to this day, we're actually... Uh, meeting tomorrow for strategy day, going over uh, what we're going to do next here at getaroom.com, uh, using much of the same uh, techniques and style that we've used for the last 30 years. And that's, I guess that's testament to the, the friendship, you know, I suppose the fact that you didn't need, you don't need a contract is perhaps because you're both former lawyers as it were. So uh, that's very interesting, David. Yeah, Bob, I wanted to see if we could segue a little bit and if you could explain what the uh, merchant model for booking hotel rooms is. I think that's something a lot of our listeners probably don't fully understand how to appreciate what you guys kind of came up with. And maybe we can talk a little bit more how you guys uh, formally created uh, Hotel Reservations Network. Sure. So back in, back in this goes to 1991, I told you a little bit about we were sitting in a hut in Belize crunching paper writing ideas on paper and trying to figure out what is our next business. We love the hotel business because number one, it's so fragmented. So there's no one supplier that has uh, you know, such a high percentage of the industry or control that, that they could um, um, you know, exert so much leverage uh, to uh, squeeze your profits and so forth. And uh, the, the state of the industry at the time was that you know, hotels were about 60% occupied on average and needed about 70% to break even. Uh, so the hotels needed more business. Uh, if one hotel didn't want to work with us, we could go across the street. So the competitive nature of it was just great. And it was just so large. So the market was so large. Uh, so many people travel. Uh, we didn't need warehouses. We didn't need storefronts. So it, it was really, even initially without the internet, uh, all we really needed was call center. Uh, so it, it was it was it was just an ideal business to go in with very low downside and and so much upside and so much opportunity. And so when we started in the business, we went to hotels and we negotiated special rates. And, and hotels would often give us a better rate because we had a unique marketplace. And 
we booked with hotels, and our agreement was that hotels were going to send us a commission. The problem was very few hotels sent the commission. So we ended up being a collection agency, and we were spending more time chasing hotels, writing legal letters, and demanding our commission than we were selling hotels. And so we looked at each other and we said, this just isn't going to work. And, and I said to Dave, you know, why don't we just, uh, why don't we go get credit with hotels and have customers pay us in advance? And Dave started to laugh and said, first of all, who's going to give you credit? <laughs> we're a small little business. We don't have any track record. We don't have any funds in the bank. Uh, and, and, and who in the right mind is going to pay us in advance? So I said, Dave, look, I've got some relationships with hotels. I'll find some hotels to give us credit. And let's try and let's offer consumers a great deal and see if, they'll, uh, see if they're willing to pay us in advance. Uh, so Dave was very skeptical. But I went, I called a few hotels, and uh, I begged and pleaded. That the original hotel was the, that gave us credit was the Dorset Hotel in New York, which uh, turned into a museum uh, several years ago. But it was it was it was a great hotel because it was right it was right in Midtown, and they were very very difficult to deal with. And I knew that if if I could convince this hotel that, to give us credit and use them as a reference, that many other hotels would also grant us credit. So I went up and I met the general manager, and and he kept saying, No, no, no. Why would I give you credit? You have no track record. You have no history with us. Uh, uh, you've only been working with us for a short period of time. But he says, look, I, mean, I was persistent. I didn't give up. And he says, look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you seven days to pay. I'm going to give you a small amount of credit. And if you pay on time, and you pay on time consistently, I'll consider increasing it. So we would pay him much quicker than seven days. And after, after uh, several weeks, they went by, I'd call him, ask him to you know, extend our credit. After a couple months, he started extending it. He started giving us more credit, and I eventually I said, can I use you as a reference? And he said, sure. So I started going around to uh, every other hotel in New York, giving them as a reference, and within a few months, we had tons of hotels that were giving us credit. Uh, and then on the customer side, we changed our model to have customers pay us in advance. And... Again, Dave was still very skeptical. He was thinking, who is going to pay us in advance? But sure enough, there was no hesitation. People saw we offered a great deal. They gave us their credit card when they booked. Uh, and so that became the beginning of the merchant model. And the merchant model is basically a model where our company was the merchant. So instead of a consumer booking through us and paying at the hotel, which was the prevailing model at the time, the consumers would pay us. They would pay Hotel Reservations Network. And then we would pay the hotel. So it, it was a great model because it provided us an incredible amount of cash flow. So the typical flow would be the customer would pay us on day one for the full amount of the hotel stay. The customer would stay on average 30 days later. The hotel would bill us approximately 30 days after checkout and then would give us 30 days to pay the bill. So that became 90 days of free float. So this became our financing arm for the business. Our customers really financed the entire beginning and growth of what became Hotels.com and really the entire uh, OTA industry, uh, especially for hotels. Mm. Uh, so this is uh, so we call us the merchant model. And 
we basically changed consumer behavior because consumers were used to, again, uh, paying at the time that they check into the hotel, but now customers were paying us in advance, and it became the dominant model worldwide, and it was the dominant model until Booking.com came around uh, in Europe and changed the model to, uh, to what it was long ago where people paid at the hotel, but the merchant model is still the dominant model in North America and still yeah. a very successful model, and we never needed, uh, we never needed financing. We never took a bank loan. We actually you know how much we started the business with. Do you have any idea? No. Do you know how much we invested in the business? No. Uh, so we each no. invested. You don't want to take a guess. So, so we each invested a total of six hundred dollars in the business. Wow. <laughs> and, and Dave didn't pay his six hundred dollars in. So we always had a liability in our balance sheet for six hundred dollars, and I had to chase Dave for two and a half years to get him <laughs> to write the check for six hundred dollars. Eventually, he wrote it. So our total investment in what became Hotels.com and, and uh, um, over a $5 billion business was $1,200. That was our total investment in the business. Well, it's, so not that's mind-blowing it, uh, you know, mind when you think of all the money that's swilling around from venture capital companies into startups nowadays, isn't it? I mean, I've got a, a, a question for you, Bob, and that's... Sure. You know, you, it's really interesting. You were saying that you went to this single hotel in Midtown Manhattan and you got their trust and that became a reference point for you to go to other hotels and you, you know, all of a sudden you had lots of uh, hotels on the books. How did you as a business handle that from a kind of a business servicing perspective? I mean, contracting with hotels is a fairly resource heavy part of any kind of uh, any kind of new business, let alone one that's coming up with a new model and there's a lot of handholding. How did you run that as a business from a resource perspective, you know, manpower and things like that? You know, that's a good question because um, at the time, the travel companies were just uh, using a GDS type system to book, which of course we know is not very profitable, but very easy to use and you have access to a lot of hotels, even though the margin's low. Um, but we built a totally different system where we really uh, built up an army that was out there in major cities across the world contracting with hotels. And so we did it slowly and methodically. We started in the cities where we saw the most demand. And rather than try to contract every hotel in the city, that we started contracting a limited number of hotels where we thought we can do a lot of business. And that's really how we started. So you know, in a city like New York, we started with 50 hotels instead of 500 hotels. You know, today we have hundreds of hotels in, in just about every major city. But we started smaller, and we made sure we kept quality control. We made sure we paid on time. Uh, we made sure that we treated our uh, customers right, and we also treated our partners at hotels right, that we paid them. We paid them the right amounts. We paid them on time. We were reliable. When they contacted us, we responded. So it's keeping that quality control that enable us to develop great relationships with our hotel partners. And, and we just kept expanding, but we controlled the expansion. So we did it in, in a way that was, first of all, cost effective. We kept our profitability up versus going out and just spending a lot of dollars. We did it slowly, methodically, carefully. And you know, so many entrepreneurs come to me and they have these, uh, uh, you know, what they think are the greatest ideas since sliced bread. And, and they want to take over the whole world at once, and they want to market their plan worldwide right away. And when I ask them how much it's going to cost them and how they're going to raise the funds to make it profitable, they turn red. Um, <laughs> so many people try to do too much at one time. They try to 
uh, create a worldwide business overnight. And that's really not the way to do it. The way to do it is to start small, start slow, make sure that whatever market or area you're in works well, that it's profitable. And then once you have a system that works, then you can expand it. The other thing I did was I did everything myself at first. So I contracted all the hotels. I handled the, I really handled every aspect of the business. So I even took phone calls because I wanted to know the business. I wanted to find out the kinks. Mm. And once I figured out the system and I was comfortable with the way it worked, then I went and hired people and trained them. But I did really every aspect of the business myself first. Same with Dave. Uh, we each, we each took different parts of the business. We did it ourselves. We learned the business. We figured it out. And then we went out and hired people and trained them how to do it. I think it's interesting. And I, I, I don't want to talk too much about the here and the now because we're, you know, we're here to talk about you and your kind of history. But I wonder if your ability to grow in the way that you did, which was very organic, just wouldn't happen nowadays because so many startups take investment money and there is pressure on them from their investors to grow faster and take um, uh, arguably more risks in inverted commas. Would you agree with that? Well, I totally agree with that. And that's a, that's, that's the downside of taking, of taking investor funds. Uh, you know, when you're not working with your own funds, uh, you don't tend to be as conservative. So um, I consider myself a cons- what I call a conservative entrepreneur. Um, I don't want to run a business that loses money. If it's if it if there's some investment, that's fine. Mm. But I want to pay off in a reasonable period of time, um, and I want to look at every expense. So I want to be uh, very you know, very methodical in the expenses uh, to make sure we're not wasting. And what happens is when when you get big private equity money, you get funds in from investors, you tend to be careless. And that's often what happens. And, and just uh, uh, when, you know, what happens in today's world, for example, people work for companies, the companies give them credit cards for expenses, and they tend to spend like it's other people's money and not their own. So we don't give any employees company credit cards. All, all our employees charge on their own cards, and then they have to seek reimbursement. And by doing that, uh, we believe we save a significant amount of funds because when you're using, you're spending your own dollars on your own card, you're much more cautious with how much you spend than if you're using a, than if you're using a, a, you know, somebody else's card or a company card for your expenses. So that's just one example of the way we run our business to make sure we're not wasting. Okay. I had a quick follow-up on something you mentioned earlier. You said, uh, you know, the merchant model became the way until booking.com's, uh, model kind of uh, took over again in Europe. Why do you think uh, that worked in Europe but not in America? And you know, is Booking.com not uh, a collections agency too now? Is what's what what makes it work today? Right. Well, the merchant model also is 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 uh, successful in Europe. It's just that Booking.com came up with a different way, and 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 they came up with different systems to collect. So. For example, they're not necessarily chasing the hotels. A lot of times they're just automatically debiting the hotel's accounts. So they came up with some much better, uh, a much better way to debit the hotel. But uh, they have another issue in that so many people cancel when you book that way. So the cancel rates you get with a model, we call their model an agency model. So they're an agent and the customers pay the hotel versus paying the, the OTA. The cancellation rates in that model 
are much higher than the merchant model. So there's some downsides to that model too, but they've, they've figured out some ways to do it uh, that are much more efficient than what was available when we originally started. You said they debit the account. I mean, what are they, it sounds like they found some ways of getting pre-commits and you know, having deposits. Or I'd actually be curious, well, what are some of those ways they, they, they figured out? Right. Well, they have different systems they use, so they're not, uh, they're not spending all their time chasing the hotels for commissions. Uh, so uh, in, in, in that way, they can focus much more on their, on their uh, sales and expansion versus just chasing, uh, chasing hotels. But there, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons to each model, but we found that the merchant model uh, was an incredibly successful model. Again, it's the dominant model in North America and, and some other places around the world. Uh, and, and it's still highly used uh, in Europe and other areas as well. Cool, cool. Um, I had kind of a, a segue uh, question. You, you talked about your experience bringing on the Dorset as your, your first uh, you know, client uh, on this merchant model. And I, I speak to a lot of startup founders who are trying to uh, make inroads in a uh, a kind of a fragmented supply market that operates in a very traditional way. I've got friends starting, you know, stuff that want to work with art galleries and others, you know, obviously in our, our uh, world want to work with airlines and et cetera that don't, you know, move quickly at all. Um, how did you know you weren't crazy and you weren't just barking up the wrong tree that eventually this was going to work? And uh, because I, I think, you know, there could be a case that could be made that like they just weren't going to do it. You know, what was your inkling that uh, this was going to work? Well, we started, again, as, you know, as, as, as I was talking about earlier, we started small and we started slow. So we didn't bet the bank on it. We said, let's test it. You know, let's test the market. Let's feel it. Let's test it. Let's try some hotels and, and let's do it. You know, we knew we weren't going to all of a sudden have thousands of hotels that give us credit. But also we knew that if we can get, uh, uh, you know, start with one or two or a handful of significant hotels to give us credit, then we can slowly expand it as we're as we develop a, a credit history with the hotels. So it's 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 you know it's a matter of, it's the way we did it was a carefully calculated way to have success versus just shooting in the dark and trying to and uh, all of a sudden have have a lot of credit from a lot of hotels, which was very unlikely. So tell me, Bob. I mean, launched in '91, but um, at some point there must have been much more of an emphasis and a launch into the website version of the business rather than the call center, which you were originally best known for. Talk us through how that process kind of came about and the various things that you needed to do to make that switch. Sure. So 1991, when we launched, there, there, there was no internet. Uh, in, in 1995, I had a friend of a friend bang really hard on the door, pretty much bang the door down. <laughs> that he has to show us something that, that he thought was going to change the world. And, uh, you know, we, we were very skeptical. His name was Dave Ray. Unfortunately, he's, uh, uh, he had cancer and he passed away a few years ago. But he was really uh, just a genius. And he, he was in the gaming industry. And he thought that he could apply what he uh, developed in the gaming industry for hotels. Because there was no really online commerce at the time. And, and at the time, in 1995, the internet was not interactive. So you know, if you sent out an email, it was an ISDN, yeah. basically on, phone, on a phone line, and it would go out one letter at a time, and it was not interactive. So you would have to wait sometimes, uh, you know, it could be minutes, hours, days to get a response back. 
but basically came in, he showed us the technology. We said, it's very interesting, but nobody knows about it. Nobody uses it. How are we going to get any business? And so I was very reluctant to invest in it. He says, listen, I'll make you a deal you can't refuse. I said, what's that? He says, I'll build a site for you. It won't cost you a penny. I'll build it. Uh, um, I'll own the site. And you provide the inventory and you pay me a 10% commission. So you have no downside. I said, deal. And so he builds the site. We launched in late 1995. And by 1996, the internet still not interactive. It's already five to 10% of our business and it's slow as can be. We just couldn't believe it. I mean, we were getting orders from South Africa, from Paris, from Japan. Uh, it was just incredible. It was mostly in um, academia because it was mainly universities that you know had access mm. to the internet at the time. And then the, the, the industrial revolution for us was in October of 2000, uh, sorry, of 1997, when the IBM midframe systems became interactive and, and, and connected with the internet. And now everything changed because now the internet was interactive. So now you can send an email and get an instant response. Now someone could come onto our site and get an instant confirmation. And there was really, there was uh, really nobody doing online commerce at the time. And so we were uh, probably the only site for travel. There was Easy Saber at the time, but people really didn't use it uh, to book. They used it more for lookup. So we were one of the only sites out there where you could actually transact and, and use a credit card and actually do business on and get a booking confirmation. And you know, hotels didn't have any websites. None of the travel companies out there had websites. And so we decided to create what's called the affiliate model. And so we went out to all kinds of businesses, especially travel businesses. And we said, we'll build an internet site for you. Uh, and we'll d develop the entire site for you. And you can promote it, you can use it, and we'll pay you a commission for every transaction on the site. And within, I'd say, you know, a year to two years, we had about 20,000 affiliates. Almost every uh, travel site that, that was out there was an affiliate of ours. Mm. And that was the way we grew the business at a very low cost because we didn't have to go out and promote and buy ads and uh, incur a lot of expenses. All these other companies that we work with wanted to promote their businesses and they promoted their website as part of their business. And so all this business went to us at, at no initial cost. It only cost us if there was actually a transaction. So it, it was an incredible business model. And, and we really built up, it wasn't until about 2000 that we uh, changed our name to hotels.com, acquired the URL. Yeah. And it was actually 2002 uh, we acquired it. We were going under the name Hotel Reservations Network. Most of our business was from our affiliates. And we decided in, in, in the 2002 to go ahead and find a, a really good consumer name and start marketing directly to the public. But all the way up until that time, we almost all of our business came from our affiliate program. Tell me, in that kind of late 1990s period where everything was just 
going crazy was the affiliates and the website and did you ever, you know, yourself and David ever just sit there thinking, this is just crazy. We, you know, six, seven years ago, we never, ever would have anticipated what's going on now. Yeah, well, we never thought it would be anywhere nearly as big as it was. I mean, we were basically, yeah. you know, the way we looked at our business, we, we were, you know, a small travel agency. We found the niche, you know, we were, we were making some nice profits, but nothing anywhere near what it eventually became. Mm-hmm. But we were, uh, you know, we kept the business profitable. We had a great business model. We kept expanding it. You know, we had a really good business, but we really didn't see the, the, the potential. And, but we kept it profitable. And another way we did it is that in addition to the affiliate program, one day I, I, I had a phone call from, from John Hamilton from KGO. Um, he was a, a host of one of the largest uh, travel talk shows in America. I'm actually still a guest on this show every week. Uh, and he says, uh, one of my listeners booked a hotel reservation with you, got a good deal. Can you come on my show and talk about it? <laughs> I said, sure. I, I said, how much is the charge? He says, charge? What are you talking about? <laughs> he says, I'm happy for you to come on. We don't have to pay you. I said, great. So I came on the show. He kept me on for about two hours. And people kept calling with questions and our phones lit up. I mean, you couldn't get through to the company at the time. There were so many callers from there. And so about, about, uh, uh, in a week later, I start getting calls from all these other radio shows across America, KSL in Salt Lake, WVD in the WR in New York, uh, KGR in Detroit, on and on and on. They said, we heard you, we, we heard you as a guest on KGL San Francisco. Will you come on our show? <laughs> So all of a sudden, I had almost every major talk show in America inviting me on as a guest. So I came on, and people would ask questions, and I talked about hotel deals, and our business, our direct business started to blossom just from all these radio shows, and I started doing the same thing on TV. So it became a great way to promote our business at no cost. It's uh, advertising the money can't buy, I guess. That's right. It was, it was really free. It was better than, it was much better than advertising because, you know, if you're invited on as a guest, it's, 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 it's much better than paying for an ad. That's insane. I've heard of uh, startup founders these days doing some radio advertising, but uh, it sounds like that was uh, kind of your golden goose uh, and you kind of discovered the niche. Yeah, but not only that, you, know, you go out and you buy and you buy an ad, right? So you, yeah. you know, people buy 30 second ads, 60 second ads. You know, first of all, they cost a fortune. Uh, second of all, it's a very short period of time, <laughs> so you really can't explain your business. And and third of all, it sounds like an ad. Most people don't want to hear it, right? But when you come on as a consumer interest guest and you have a story to tell, and I would tell a story about the company and what we do and how we do it and where people like to go and what's popular, and now it's interesting and people call up and you know talk about their uh, they're getting married and where they want to go or it's an anniversary or birthday. What can they do? And I would give them all kinds of suggestions and I'd give them all kinds of ways to save money. And I'll tell them where we had the best hotel deals at the time. People loved it because everybody likes to save money, right? So it turned out to be so much better than advertising. We, we, we couldn't pay enough dollars to, to get that type of promotion. What's funny so now that- we had a great business. Uh, you know, we had all this affiliate business, which is most of our business. And now, we started getting a lot more direct business uh, at no cost. 
What's uh, great, there's an article that came out uh, on Andreessen Horowitz's website, actually. Uh, it's talking about, obviously, everyone knows the term product market fit, but they uh, call it product zeitgeist fit, and i.e., like how veggie burgers are suddenly investable now, you know, with Beyond Meat and stuff due to climate change, et cetera, et cetera. And it almost feels like you're able to kind of get this kind of free, you know, radio coverage because you somehow managed to hit the zeitgeist of travel coming online. Would you, would you say that's accurate? Well, you know, I found, I found, I found a great niche and, uh, you know, I found a way to do these shows on, on, on uh, TV and radio to make them entertaining and, you know, people love them. And so, you know, when you're on one, when you're on one show or one area, everybody else, everybody else wants you on, you know, their particular market. So it, it was really a great way to expand the business. And, and for us, we've always kept our, uh, cost of marketing advertising very low, typically in the one to 3% range. Now, I remember that in late 1999, early 2000, we, when we were taking uh, Hotels.com public, again, it was Hotel Reservations Network at the time, so we, we interviewed a lot of bankers on Wall Street, and, and none of them wanted to take us public. And I'd say, what's the issue? Did they say, you're too profitable. I said, what do you mean you're too, we're too profitable? Isn't that why you run a business? They say, well, the problem is only, you're only spending 2 to 3% of your revenues on marketing. Most companies in the space are spending 50 to 100%. So if you really want to go public and, and have consumers and investors take an interest in you, and, and we're talking almost every bank on Wall Street told us this, but you need to go uh, spend a lot more dollars in advertising and marketing, show a loss for two or three quarters, and then come back to us. I, I was shocked. All these people in suspenders telling us to go lose money. I just couldn't do it. I said, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so finally, uh, we must have interviewed 20 to 25 bankers. We found one that was conservative and loved our business model. And we ended up using him as, as the lead banker. And we took the company public. Our, our symbol was hotel. And we were oversubscribed 20 times. And our stock went from $16 to somewhere in the 90s. And it was an incredibly successful offering. And we did it the way we always run our business. We didn't change our model to please the bankers and suspenders. We did it in a way that uh, we ran our business uh, in the same way we always did, focusing on profitability, focusing on great customer service, focusing on having a great product. And, and that's really how we built the company. And, and the same thing we do today at GetAroom.com. Very cool. I think it's a good lesson for all those startup founders out there who are uh, constantly told that they, uh, you know, maybe being profitable uh, or a little more logical when it comes to profits uh, is uh, means they're quote unquote unambitious. I'm, I'm sure have had to put up with that uh, myself over nine years of fundraising. Um, I, I do want to quickly segue though, um, conscious of time here. Uh, to uh, Expedia. Uh, obviously, Hotels.com is part of the Expedia group. Um, how did that acquisition come to pass? So we were, we were acquired in, in 1999 by USA Networks, which became IAC. <laughs> and so they bought a majority interest in us, uh, and we took the company public. So uh, Dave and I owned about 20 to 30% of the company. The public owned about 10%, and then IAC owned the balance. And uh, we took a public, and about the three years or so later, they decided they wanted to acquire a majority interest in Expedia from Microsoft. Um, 
So they acquired a majority interest, so somewhere around 60-some percent uh, of Expedia. So it was a very interesting situation because our major competitor was Expedia, and we had the same parent company. So you had a, you had a parent company, uh, a public company, and they had two, you know, kind of two subsidiaries that were major competitors. So we would come to the corporate meeting and we would sit on one side, they would sit on the other side. Nobody would talk to anybody because obviously we didn't want to help our competitor, but we had the same parent. So it was a very, uh, it was a very interesting relationship. And then IEC decided that they wanted to buy out the balance of the shares they didn't have from both Expedia and from us. And they first bought them out from Expedia, so now they owned all of Expedia. And they owned about uh, between 60 and 70 percent of, of Hotels.com. And we negotiated, uh, we negotiated the um, sale of the balance uh, of Hotels.com to IEC, and then, and then we all merged into one company. So um, at the time, Dave and I sold the balance of our shares, and, and the two companies merged. So that, that's, that's how that transaction happened. And as, as David said, we've, we're just conscious of uh, your and the listeners' time then. So um, I guess just one last kind of couple of questions, really, uh, uh, if, if we can. I mean, looking back as, a, uh, as a, a multiple founder as you are now, I mean, what would you say that you perhaps would have done differently with the, uh, the, the Hotel Reservation Network launch now, knowing what you went through at the time and, and how the market developed? Or do you think you did it? I mean, it sounds to me like you did a lot of stuff absolutely perfectly, but is there anything in particular perhaps about how you ran the business as a startup that you would perhaps do differently now? Well, we made lots of mistakes along the way. And it's, I think, any entrepreneur that, that ultimately succeeds that, that uh, says he hasn't made mistakes probably isn't being uh, totally upfront about it. So we made lots of mistakes, you know, certainly starting out of the agency model was, was, was a big mistake. Uh, it, we should have pushed the, the merchant model much earlier. Um, so there, you know, there were, there were, you know, we've hired some people that weren't the right people and, uh, you know, hiring the right people and hiring really good people is critical to a business. So we've made, we've made, we made lots of mistakes along the way, but one thing that we did is we learned from the mistakes and we learned from the mistakes and we grew from the mistakes. So, and that's just an evolution of any business. Uh, so, but probably the biggest mistake we made and um, the, uh, is that we gave up too much, uh, too much control of the company and we gave up too much of the company. So, and, and, uh, you know, as founders today, like uh, Amazon and so forth, that where the founders kept, uh, kept, uh, you know, much larger percentage of the company for a much longer period of time. And, and, it of course paid off. Uh, you know, we sold a very high percentage of the company uh, uh, early on, and the, the portion we kept ended up being worth a lot more than the larger percentage we sold initially. So, uh, you know, in retrospect, if we would have held on to our shares much longer and kept running the company, uh, we would have been much better off. But you know, we're happy, and you know, we made the decision based uh, based we had our entire you know net worth and portfolio in the company and we wanted to you know take some risk off the table and uh you know we really liked the partner iac they're just incredibly sharp people and we've enjoyed the relationship we had with them and we learned a lot along the way and we did well at the end of the day but uh 
certainly it's 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 an issue that every entrepreneur tackles with that's selling his company or a portion of their company uh, is do you really want to sell and how much do you want to sell and how much control and what percentage do you want to give up because if you really believe in the company then you know every 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 share you give up uh, is, is 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 a lot of potential there that 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 you're losing so it's always a trade-off and those are tough decisions and of course in retrospect we want to sold any of the companies <laughs> okay oh, that's that's great i mean we we ended up talking a hell of a lot about uh, hrn and hotels.com and uh, uh, forgive us we didn't get through to uh, uh, to, to get a room so uh, listeners please go and visit get a room and get a sense of what that business is all about maybe we'll get you on in a future episode further down the line bob to talk about uh, how you founded that particular business but i mean really thanks ever so much i learned a hell of a lot more than i already knew about uh, hrn and hotels.com so thank you very much bob for sharing that. no it's a pleasure today. talking with you today Okay, so uh, thank you very much, listeners. Uh, you've been listening to How I Got Here. This is uh, a Focus Wire and Mozio's uh, weekly podcast looking at the inside stories in travel and transportation and innovation. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thanks ever so much again, Bob, from David and I. Of course, a pleasure to talk with you. Okay, thanks ever so much, listeners. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week. Oh, 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 o